this is episode 251 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined once again by Paul, and uh, somewhere else in the in the world is Ryan Top. Ryan, where are you now? So my wife has a uh, work conference down in Orlando, and my parents wanted a car moved down here. Uh, so we generously offered to <laughs> drive it down here for them. And so uh, spent the last couple of days driving from Wisconsin to Orlando. And now we're at a Disney resort for the next uh, four days here before we uh, fly home. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to do the uh, the driving part on the front end of that instead of the back end. That would be worse. So that that sounds very true. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, how have you been? Uh, fine. I've been in Minnesota. I just got back today and so uh, it was fun. Saw friends. Um, actually ended up getting an Airbnb in our old neighborhood, uh, fairly close to our house. So that was actually pretty fun. Got to walk around and see the old sites and all that good stuff. So we had a good time, uh, but we did have just brutally terrible traffic on the way back. Um, there were two separate accidents that completely shut down the freeway for um more than a half hour i'm not i don't remember how much more than a half hour each time so that sucked kind of tired but you know all good also school starts tomorrow and i'm uh been doing (laughs) crazy crazy work to get kids ready for that i was gonna ask how that went that that first night before always seems like a headache it's good lunches are packed all the supplies are in bags and stuff it's all good sounds good uh i am you know possibly getting covid and our <laughs> yeah. ac is broken I feel like and this podcast will be suck, this, so the podcast will be james slow descent into covid symptoms <laughs> yeah I, I i have been negative so far but uh i'm feeling that scratch in the throat right now who knows if it's psychosomatic or not but uh we'll, we'll see how long i can rest here and how i'm feeling in the morning by the time you all listen to this but uh plenty to talk about I guess uh, mostly bad, but maybe a little bit of good with the Brewers, too. Uh, breaking news, too, to talk about um, just before we started recording this that we'll, we'll address here right off the top. Uh, but before we start, a reminder, if you want to help support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash MKEE tailgate for as little as two bucks a month. That will get you question priority on all the podcasts on the network, this one, and the upcoming new episode of Reporting as Eligible, which, Paul, you will be recording this week. Yep, recording on Tuesday, uh, request for questions going out shortly, all that good stuff, and if you are a patron, you get priority, and um, by the end of last year, that was kind of the only way to get a question on, honestly. We, uh, we started getting like 13 or 14 Patreon questions every time, and... Uh, you know, um, we we only have so long to talk. So if if you want to if you want it answered, that's the best way to do it. Yeah, you're not trying to uh, have a three hour Packers podcast every week. Nobody that, wants that. That might be a problem. Yes. Yeah. No, but uh, definitely want to get that question priority in. So again, just two bucks a month at patreoncom tailgate. For five bucks a month, you get the extra stuff as well. On top of that question priority, you get some exclusive podcasts, Paul's Packers mini pods, yep. as well as the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from RotoWire. Uh, so be on the lookout for that as well. Well, as I mentioned, it's really been an eventful week, I guess, for better or worse for the Brewers. They split four games against the Dodgers in a very close and competitive series, then proceeded to stumble all over themselves and find ways to lose two out of three to the Cubs this weekend at Wrigley. Uh, Luckily, the vibes might have been a little bit better after Sunday afternoon's performance from 
uh, Keston Hira and the bullpen kind of salvaged that last game there. But then we saw what Eric Lauer had to say about the atmosphere in the clubhouse <laughs> after the Josh Hader trade and the trade deadline. And suddenly we're all worried uh, doing that vibe check again because uh, holy crap, that th- those quotes were pretty much like the most uh, candid, illuminating thing I think we've seen, even even more so than Devin Williams' immediate reaction after the trade deadline, right? So uh, we got a question about that from patron Jay Google that we'll get to in a minute here. But first, I just want to read everything off here just so we all know what we're talking about. This is all from Adam McKelvey's piece on Sunday. So uh, talking about the trade of Josh Hader, there was a shock factor to it, Lauer said, quote, Everybody was taken aback by it a little bit as far as who we have in the clubhouse and what we have here. I don't think we're in any worse position to win games as many games as we should. The only thing I can think of was from the top down, it seemed like there was a weird behind the scenes message that was sent that a lot of people didn't jive with quote. It didn't send us the right message from the upstairs people trying to say like, we're doing this and we're trying to put you guys in the best position and we're trying to win right now with you guys. It seemed like more of a quote, we're trying to develop for the future. Uh, he went on and basically speaking more about, I guess, a lack of transparency or communication uh, from the front office saying, quote, afterward, there was no communication to the clubhouse about what changed in the clubhouse. It was kind of like it was shrugged off, he said. He also added, uh, I personally wasn't a huge fan of the way they described it to the public. I'm not trying to just get a bunch of bites of the apple, especially if things were going the way they are, the way the Brewers have historically traded before paying guys. I don't know how many bites of the apple we can take in the next few years. We're not going to be able to afford a lot of the guys in this room. Uh, He goes on, but quote, quote, but it's not my decision to make. My job is to play baseball and do the best I can every day. That's what everybody here does. But there's a certain vibe in the clubhouse. And when a dynamic like that changes, it's something that needs to be addressed. And it just never was addressed to us. We just kind of left it. Uh, So not great, but he still continues there. Uh, What we're putting out on the field, I don't think it's all from the trade deadline or anything Lauer said. We just haven't been playing good baseball. We have to get better as a core and as a team in putting together games. What happened at the trade deadline, we still have arms. We got great guys back from that trade. It's not like it was a horrible trade. It's not like it was the end of the world or anything for us. But at the same time, it's for the feel of the clubhouse. The message that it sends to us kind of inadvertently brought us down. It's not like we're trying to be brought down. It's not like we don't think we can do it. It's just that there's this weird hovering thing over us right now that nobody really knows what the answer is. We just have to get past it. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, this seems a little bit worse than we had anticipated. Uh, so our first Patreon question comes from Jay Google. What are your initial thoughts on Lauer's comments? Is he right? Did he get spurned by the Brewers and he's mad? What's his angle? The Brewers gave him a second chance after the Padres didn't like him. So, uh, Paul... Let's just start with uh, <laughs> holy crap and your initial response to well, all of that. So first of all, he's not he's not wrong because he's not describing. Uh, I mean, he's, he, there's no fact here that's that's in contention. It, it, this is his reaction to what happened, and he's accusing them of not communicating properly, which is important because they, you know, especially up front, claimed that they did that the players were on board, and that that was clearly proven to I think not be the case. And this is just saying out loud what everybody quickly found out um 
and there there okay so there is a difficulty when you make a move like this in explaining it to the players because it's one thing you can't really do if you're in management is say we can tell this guy's washed like you uh you really can't do that it's uh, <laughs> uh, it, first of all, I don't really think the front office likes doing that and, and uh, giving Intel just how, giving giving away just how much they do have on everybody. I'm sure the players know, but it's it's one thing to kind of know in the abstract and then um, see it as a, oh my goodness, they can tell immediately when we suck. Like that's a big revelation to, to give to the clubhouse. Um, and so that makes it hard to message. But that doesn't make it impossible to message, and I do think that the Brewers failed here uh, uh, with a lack of creativity and a lack of open communication. Like, you you can say you can get, you can say, uh, look, um, Josh is showing some signs of wear and tear, and um, we think that he may be better served in a new place. Something you know, you can do crap like that. You you can tell him something. You can take questions, and if somebody asks you a hard question, you can say you can say things like. Um, uh, we've seen some indicators that he's not what he was, or um, we feel uncomfortable answering that for, um, you know, for sort of legally front office reasons. I apologize for that. Um, I, I can say that we do, see, you know, you guys have seen how he's played the last month. We see some problems with him, you know, something like that. There's ways to handle this. There's ways to deliver bad news. Um, part of being in management is doing that constructively. That's part of your job. So they definitely did fail at that. And they probably cost themselves a game or two by being bad at communicating and having the team get down and not playing as hard as they otherwise would because they they were confused by the move. So, yeah, I think everything he says is certainly valid um, for sure. Um, professionals are professionals, but they're also people. And people don't like having their super great closer inexplicably shift off without a good explanation. So um, I, I think... Uh, you should take him at his word for this, and uh, this explanation makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it, I think the thing that a lot of us really struggled with when we saw that and our, our initial reaction of being like, holy, holy crap, this is really bad, is uh, it also doesn't necessarily jive with what David Stearns said he did. Right. Um, and I, I don't know how much of that is just like the typical disconnect between management and employees, right? Where like a manager is always going to feel like they have the open door policy and communication's great. But if you talk to the employees individually, a lot of times you figure out, eh, they don't Not feel the so same great. way, yep. right? That's right. Part of this is the, the goals of management and players kind of align with each other. They don't align perfectly. And I think this uh, situation actually kind of shows how they diverge and in a lot of the kind of important ways. First off, players' goal is always going to be to get as much out of themselves and their team as they can that year, because it's all that's guaranteed to them. Actually, really, all, you know, this next game is all that's guaranteed to them. Like, they're just trying to get the most out of whatever situation they're in in the short term so that they can continue to get more chances and all of that, especially up until the point that they get a long-term contract. So there's there's always this tension where the player's goal is kind of much more immediate and what's going on in front of them. But in management, the goal is winning now and winning later. And I think that Lauer really got into some of that here. And when he says that he doesn't care about or it, whatever it was, he, he referenced the bites at the apple comment. 
And for a player, right. they view that a lot more different than what a team does because for a player, they don't know if they're going to be there for that next bite. You know, right. for all he knows, he's going to get traded to Kansas City in the offseason. You know, he, he doesn't know. So for him, what is most important is what is immediate and what is in front of him. And I think that there's natural resentment players have towards front office types. I don't think that they could be as forthcoming about this as a player would want. I don't think a team can do that. And I also don't think that really any answer here that was, we're going to trade Josh Hader was going to make the players mad. There wasn't like a good way to do that. That would have, everybody would have gone, Oh, I see what you're saying. (laughs) Oh, really? We should just do this, right? This is, this is better for all of us. There was, no, there was no way that was ever going to happen. And so what I sort of assumed all along, early on especially, was that they were letting the players get their feelings out, that they were letting them go through, I don't know, like a grieving process, like the, you know, the seven steps or whatever. Like right. they were letting them get their feelings out and then that would be redirected in time and get better. It does sound like they didn't communicate as well as, Stearns didn't communicate as well as he thought he had about this, but part of that is always like, what actually can the person say other than, you know, hey, we didn't trade the player you didn't want us to trade. Like, no other answer is really going to be acceptable. So there are times when, as a general manager, you have to make unpopular moves and then just wear it and wear the consequences of it. And that's what's, I think, happening right now. And ultimately where we're going to get with this in the long term is we're going to see where they all end up from this in a year down the road, multiple years. I mean, even if you go back and look at the the Urias and uh, Grisham trade with, with Lauer in it, that trade, the, the impression of that trade has changed drastically since the moment they did it from six months later, from two years now on down the road from when they did it. So all of these things are so flexible and they're so malleable and it, it does change over time that I think it, it's really hard for us to, to say much of anything definitive about anything like this because we just have to see where it goes in, in the long run. And I get for players that uh, the reality is much more immediate than that. Like they don't have that luxury for them going out and performing the next game. So from that perspective, I get it. But I think some of this is just like the natural disconnect that exists between people trying to put together a team and people who are playing on that team. Yeah, I mean, I also think, too, it, it might be an example of how a lot of players or, you know, the the baseball types don't really appreciate the front offices run by the Harvard nerds, right? Because like, this is an example of like a spreadsheet trade, quote unquote, right? Like it it had no consideration to the human factor of it. They probably uh, clearly miss, you know, like miscalculated how much of an effect that would have in the clubhouse. Um, You know, like, Ryan, we even joked like a week or two before the trade, like, oh, yeah, in OTP, we definitely trade him right now because he's slipping. But like, (laughs) you don't do that in real life because there are real person consequences. So I think maybe that kind of shows, Paul, too, like a disconnect between 
maybe not necessarily that type of front office, but uh, maybe David Stearns has some work to do in the in the people relations before he heads off to New York. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I I think that they should definitely bear some criticism here for their ability to message. And uh, just because it's hard doesn't mean you can't do a good job of it. Uh, I personally have had to deliver bad news to many people on numerous occasions. I have done good and bad jobs of that on numerous occasions. I'm much better at it now than I used to be. Um, but big organizations should have people that are good at it. Um, it, it baseball is super competitive. Um, the Brewers really, I think, have kind of prided themselves on, especially Craig Council's ability to do just that, to relate front office concepts down through the players and get buy-in where other people kind of fail at it. This is a little different. This is more, I would say, human resourcey. That's a different animal. Um, but this is not something that, um, that every company fails at. Even though it's difficult, they should be better at it. And uh, it had a material cost on them. Um, by failing to to frame this move properly with their players. Uh, and honestly, um, this sort of reminds me of the Aaron Rodgers griping about the Jordan Love draft. Uh, it's one of those things where they're not obligated to tell him anything, but they should know that he's a nutcase and that they maybe have to massage his feelings more than normal people. Um, and uh, that understanding that kind of thing about your players and your important players is part of doing the job properly. Um, here, I think that what I would have done differently than they did, and I don't know what they did, but uh, I would have pulled at least a few um, respected veterans aside and given them an unofficial heads up that this was happening, um, trying to get their trust that, you know, we know what we're doing here. We know it's going to be controversial. We think it'll bear out. Something along those lines would have been a good idea. Um, maybe they did that and it just didn't work, but it doesn't seem like they did. Yeah, I think maybe Yelich had said after the fact that they had pulled a few of them in like that and kind of opened the door for them to answer some questions. But even Yelich's response to whether they got the answers that they were looking for yeah. was kind of murky at best, right? So um, it, it seems like even if that did happen, maybe that didn't go as well as they probably hoped it would too, right? So, I mean, like that that's always a risk you're going to have in a in a move like this but man <laughs> i think the other thing that stuck out to me too was um aside from just you know trading josh hater and the players clearly taking it as a sign that the brewers didn't want to pay him right like lauer specifically brought up not paying guys yes. and then uh uh reading between the lines maybe his doubts of uh you know a, a few other big name pitchers probably not being there for too many more bites of the apple in the future as well. Um, but I think some of that could have been maybe, you know, massaged a little bit by doing something else to improve the team too. Right. Yeah. And the fact that they didn't get a bat or do something else, I think maybe rub the guys the wrong way, or at least it was an op a missed opportunity to kind of say, okay, yeah, we traded Josh, but we did these other things too because we still think this is a good chance to run with it. And granted, you know, like we've heard from Stearns in the front office that the prices were obscenely high and none of us really want to see them trade a top 100 prospect, for example, for like the Jock Petersons of the world. Right. But kind of going back to the point Ryan made about this year is the only thing that's guaranteed to them. Uh, Eric Lauer doesn't give a shit if Sal Freilich is headed to San Francisco or Joey Weimer's headed to San Francisco, mm -hmm. right? So 
I, I don't know, Ryan, any more thoughts on, on that. And, you know, I know you're the prospect hugger, but uh, the players on the 25 man don't really <laughs> care about those guys and, and they just want to see the team improved. Right. Right there. That's definitely one of those things where the team and the players have different purposes and different long-term goals in mind on this. And yeah. Um, what, who was it that said, was it uh, Snell called a bunch of players slap dip prospects and like, I think right. you go back right. and look at that and it was like it, those players I've actually borne out somewhat. I'd have to go and check the exact details on it. But like uh, I think that there's this attitude among the players that, you know, what matters to them is like they're in this battle of 162 games in 180 plus days. And they're just trying to get the most out of that time period that they can while making and scoring points for themselves so that they can, get you know more money in the future and all of that like and and that's fine those those are good goals and that's fine but for a team it's not always going to line up perfectly and i think that paul is right here when he says that they probably should have put more priority after making this trade and seeing the initial reaction uh and they should have said you know what we need to do something more here and even if it is going to cost us more than we think we should have to pay. We need to do something here to just like change the narrative and change the atmosphere and get guys going in a different direction. One thing I will say though, is I don't think that they lost those games because of the trade. Like, like in the days after it, they were involved in nip and tuck games, those pirates games in the, the, the immediate aftermath of this, those games were all tight hotly contested game yeah that i think makes it more likely that they lost a couple of them because they were feeling down about themselves i mean they booted the ball around a couple times and well but they also like came back from deficits and fought back so it wasn't like they rolled over and just quit they didn't like take the first opportunity to say oh i guess we're we're just not good enough to do this they they fought back from multiple deficits and and came back so like i are they aren't that mentally weak, are they? Well, like, I don't they... feel like I don't feel like um, issues manifest in uh, like lack of hustle or trying to uh, not trying as hard to win as they do in lack of focus and concentration. Uh, I think it 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 has more of an impact on your ability to to stay in the moment than it does on like actually giving forth effort, and that's why I think um, things like booting balls um are more likely after this kind of thing uh, it, that is a, a concentration problem not an effort problem yeah and, and there could be some of that i just i think it's hard to draw like causation and go this thing here happened because of this like there's a lot going on in any baseball game without having like all these outside factors on it like just within the game itself there's a lot of different things going on a lot of different like factors of luck and just timing and sometimes you know you're you're uh half a millisecond later than you need to be to hit the ball over the fence and you end up you know in the warning track so like it's there's so much that goes on with that it's it's impossible to know but i they definitely seemed like the the way that we heard about that like the way it was portrayed to us we we really have the image of devin williams seeming almost like disconnected right like where he's just like completely out of it and feeling very removed from like you, you didn't feel present and i think that 
that is sticking with a lot of people in this in like setting the tone and i don't know if well, everybody I was mean, like that and or that, if it was just that, that maybe cost him a game like that literally yeah, it did was like that <laughs> and him growing a fastball to brian reynolds yeah. the first pitch he threw right <laughs> so i mean it, it could be again coincidental maybe but it also doesn't help appearances you know so right all right. Uh, I guess on the topic, we're still getting questions about the Brewers trade deadline, especially considering <laughs> the, the struggles since deadline. then. Um, and, and maybe uh, some hindsight questions here. But we got one from Bob Peterson asking, given the Brewers year long struggles on defense and a two month inability to protect leads because of multiple factors, it seems fair to say that this team does not project to be more than a borderline playoff team. Plus, it needs many pieces to be a true World Series contender. That said, would you agree that Stern's moves at the deadline and the relative inactivity were prudent? In other words, was it smart to hold on to prospects who could contribute to future runs at the World Series and just hope for the best from the current team? I guess, Paul, hindsight being 2020, <laughs> uh, uh, happy you didn't give up a top prospect or two there? Or No, I'm not. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I'm happy to not give up value, but... I think adding a bat or two would have helped them kind of drastically. The The Brewers have their problems. They have not been as good defensively, but they still have the makings of a bullpen you can leverage in the playoffs, and they still have Burns and Woodruff, and like scoring an extra run or two a game has huge marginal returns for a team that's set up like this. So um, fixing a few holes in the lineup, I think, would have paid pretty large dividends and given them a much better chance in the playoffs this year. It also may have smoothed over some of the hater crap. Uh, so I, I think it actually would have paid off quite a bit. You know, we're just talking hypotheticals. Every deal, you, you need to you know measure what you're giving up versus what you're getting. It depends a lot. But uh, I don't think that we should look back and say that it's smart to sort of punt on this season based on what happened because I think that this could have gone a much different way with just a small uptick in offense. Well, I think it still can go in a lot of different directions. I think that we're, it's way too early to be holding a funeral for the Brewers 2022 season. Like there's still a lot that could happen here. So right now things are pretty down, but we've been in this position before we've seen literally this group of players, or at least some of these players, especially the pitchers, We've seen them go on insane runs in September uh, before, and we've seen uh, this team get insanely hot, and they have a lot of talent on the roster in a lot of different places. So, okay. That being said, like I already mentioned that I think that there would have been some value in pushing the needle a little bit more to be a little bit more willing to give something up to do something, but I still don't know exactly who that is and what you were going to get considering like what moved and what didn't move at the deadline. Like a right. lot of teams held on to a lot of guys, right? Like you I know? still struggle with that too. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, it, it's <clears throat> easy to say now, especially, but also at the time that they should have done something, even just a little something. Right. But I don't know if what they actually needed was there. Like they need somebody who can, hit for average they've got all these guys who take walks and slug home runs but they don't have somebody who can just drive in a run you know and i don't I'm, know I'm not sure available who, yeah who is that guy who moved right. at the deadline that fits that hole? like we you and i were both on board with getting joey gallo 
but Joey Gallo is not that he's guy. He's not that. No, no, he can at least throw guy. from left field though. So there's that. But yeah, yeah no, I you know, I'm I, not sure I, that was available. I, I, I did. I did take joy in being able to tell Paul though that Joey Gallo had just hit a home run. Uh, while we were at a concert, yeah. I would still. I want a story on how the Josh Bell thing happened. How he got included. How nobody else managed to outbid San Diego for his specific services. Like that uh, will be a surprise to me, kind of forever. Uh, that I feel like. There's no way that also, somebody couldn't have come yeah. over the top of that. Whatever part of the trade was was for him. The, the, also, from Washington's perspective, get a couple more prospects yes. by dealing him separately. Separately. It was very stupid uh, to include him. Um, it was two dumb franchises doing business together, and um, they uh, that should not have happened. <laughs> not saying yes, the Brewers... Josh Bell was the answer to that question, right? Yeah. I, I tried to answer I'm it. I'm not he saying he would have ended... Available. not saying he would have ended up with the Brewers, but he definitely... I'm offended that he didn't end up anywhere else. Uh, old co-host J.P. Breen always gives the piece of advice to people in Dynasty Leagues. Uh, if they're looking to, say, make seller trades, like, hey, it's time for me to rebuild, he will always say, uh, sell your pieces off separately. Don't do them yeah. as big package deals because that very often leads to not getting as much as you could in return. I feel like that's uh, just obvious. Like that's just common yeah. sense. It's, it becomes much more difficult to, and there's much more error um, in valuing these big packages against each other. It's, uh, and, and you've already taken resources for part one. Like you're, you're not getting, you're going to get top level resources from somebody else that are still there that are not there um, you know, in, in the San Diego system, because you already got them. It's, it's just so stupid. It's so dumb. I still can't believe it happened. Well, yeah, it, but it did. And so yes, it did. It did happen. It leads us to the question then of like, how could they have gotten, because I agree Josh Bell would have been a great get and maybe will be a great get in the off season. If they decide, Hey, we need to add a potential bat to build around though. I don't know if that's like, a guy who's already at the bad end of the defensive spectrum. Worth pointing and, out too, he has been absolute trash with San Diego so far. Well, and that <laughs> you could be talking about several different people. Yes, in that, uh, in he that did win him a game on Sunday, but yes, he's he's gotten off to a rough start, as has basically everybody the Padres traded for. <laughs> uh, R.I.P. Josh Hader in the closer role too. So, yeah, I think that more than anything, what I would like to see is a accounting somewhere down the road and whether or not we get this, it is kind of rare to get it, but sometimes you do to find out who it was that the brewers really refused to trade at the deadline. Who were the prospects? Was it Weimer? Like, I can't imagine they really even got in just very far discussing anything involving Churio, but like, was it Weimer? Was it Freilich? Was it Terang? Mitchell? Who were the guys that they were, that they did not want to give up on? And what would they have gotten for them so that we could go back and say, was that smart or not? Because, you know, you're, when you're dealing away prospects, you're always dealing in hypotheticals, but eventually those hypotheticals become, you know, more concrete. So it can be better to revisit it down the road, but chances are good. We never really find out, but it would be nice to in this case, especially. Yep. Yeah. You're not going to find out until, they're in the big leagues and if they're doing well right like if Bryce Terrain comes up next year and is electric at second base then you have you know 
counsel going, oh, I'm glad we didn't trade him last July or whatever. You know, <laughs> that's the only scenario you find out. So I don't know. All right. Uh, one more trade deadline question. And this is on the other end of the spectrum. It's coming from Justin saying, saying, asking, was the real mistake at the trade deadline not selling even more along with Hater? And will next year be a mini rebuild where we give our prospects a run before trying to compete in 2024? Uh, Ryan, let's start with you. Uh, do you wish now that they would have sold off more and just punted the second half? Oh, absolutely not. No. Yeah. Uh, I, I never really, going back to what we talked about with the Josh Hader thing, it wasn't like we were sitting here going, oh, they need to dump him. I think in that last week before the trade, both Paul and I expressed some hesitancy that maybe Hader is in some real trouble here. And I don't think that even came up within the context of like trading him. I think it was just talking about like, well, how is he doing now? Because that his performance had been so heavily scrutinized. So uh, I, I don't think that we were like looking to do something like this. I think it, it became obvious once we saw what they were doing more. Okay. One, they probably know something here because otherwise they they had to have known they were in for a shitstorm that they were going to kick up a, an absolute shitstorm. So if, if they knew that, then to have done it anyway would have to speak to having a lot of confidence in the move and feeling like it really was the best thing for them to do. Right. So I think that this was a, a a situation that presented itself to them, and they tried to make, I guess, you know, perhaps the best. Uh, of a bad situation where they were looking at a player who they thought was in trouble and needed to try to get something else for him and to try to shake things up and do something different there and just still try to extract some value. Um, we don't know, but I think that going beyond that, you're obviously talking about Woodruff and Hayter. Like those are the guys. And I guess you could include like Lauer and Hauser who are in the same timeline, but just not anywhere near as good as those two guys. Um, definitely not at this deadline would I have dreamed of, of giving them up unless somebody just absolutely went wild for it. And even in that case, you would have needed to get significant return for now. And that's very difficult to do at the trade deadline because teams tend to deal, you know, sellers deal future value for present value. You guys know how that goes, but, uh, I, I think that more than anything, um, like this was, this was a, a sui generis situation. Like it, it's an outlier situation. It's something that you can't anticipate is happening all the time. And so, no, I think if we're looking at potentially dealing one of those aces to try to like reset the window back a little bit, um, maybe that is what happens this winter, but I, I wouldn't bet on it at this point, would you? I don't no. I don't think I would bet that that's coming. No, I would not either. Uh, the one thing I do believe when they say it is that they don't want to do a rebuild and um their their path to the playoffs and to success is with that starting pitching right now. So I don't see that either. And no, you don't sell now because um I mean, if you go full what you did with Hader for the whole team, uh, nobody comes to the park the rest of the year. Like the, everybody gets mad and right. justifiably so. They were they're in first or close to it when this all happened, um, and you you can't do that. We're not the Reds here. This is not how we behave, and um, no, that's ridiculous. And, and um, I'm 
I've been as down on their chances as probably anybody has, but they are still in the running for a playoff spot. Um, actually, the best thing they did the entire deadline was sabotaging San Diego. That, I think, probably is <laughs> the, the big win for them is that. And uh, no, you, you don't punt on that when you're this close because making the playoffs is worth its weight in gold. So um, they should still do that. And, and selling off would have been absolutely ridiculous uh, and nothing they should have considered. Yeah, and as of going into Sunday, Pakota had their odds to make the playoffs at 51.9%, so still above 50-50 to make the playoffs. So mm-hmm. uh, still a lot to go in, in terms of season here, and the, the final results of this are not yet known. All right, well, speaking of playoff odds, as of Sunday night, the Brewers are now five behind the Cardinals, who refuse to lose in August. They're like 15-3 and three now. That's very annoying. Uh, and they're now one and a half games behind the Phillies, who are now in the third wild card spots uh, after playing the Mets this past weekend, and the Padres have climbed to the number five seed. So uh, heading into Sunday, their playoff odds, Ryan, you mentioned were about 50-50, a little bit north of that on uh, Pakota. Fangraphs actually had them below 50%, but uh, after Sunday's win, they're back up above 53% on Fangraphs, so that that's nice, I guess. But uh, three weeks ago, <laughs> The odds were more than 89% for a playoff spot and 80% to win the division. As we mentioned, there's still a lot of baseball to play, more than 40 games left, so plenty of time to go on a run. Uh, But I guess, Paul, let's just start with, uh, is your confidence for a close strong to the year, another Craig Timber kind of waning after seeing that Cubs series, or about the same, where are you at? Um, It's it's not super great. Uh, The one thing I will say is, I, I am a big believer that they uh, suck something awful against good teams with good pitching and just basically won't score runs against them. The Cubs series was not great or awe-inspiring for sure. Uh, there's a little bit of wackiness to it, though, wind blowing out, two unicorn home runs in the same game, stuff like that. Um, so it, that's just that's just baseball, as we like to say. Um, but I do think that there is some possibility they improve because they do score runs usually against lesser opponents and they do have quite a few of them to finish the year um and i think that they will be able to at least catch one of the wild cards um i'm not sure they're going to catch the cardinals who apparently don't play any good teams for the entire rest of the year and who have really just turned it on on offense they're second in drc plus and um just have been bashing the heck out of the thing for a while they're going to be hard to catch um but uh the brewers after they get through with the dodgers here if they're still not too far out um, and close to the wild cards. I think they'll be okay. They got Pittsburgh and Arizona and Colorado and Cincinnati and um, there and Cincinnati again and there and Arizona again. There's a bunch of crap. So I, I think that they'll be able to beat up on enough crap to get it done. But I'm not like super confident in them. I just think it lines up pretty well for them to to do okay. Yeah, I think a big part of my confidence in it, and I would say I'm above what Pakota is. If I had to bet. I would happily take the over on that. And I think that it's mostly just because we've seen this movie before. We've seen how this team goes and responds down the stretch. And when they've needed to have good runs to end the season, they've come up with that. And I think that a part of that is correct counsel. Part of it is just the way they build their rosters and how they do this. And I think that if you look at how the team sets up today, Um, they're by and large healthy that can change, but they're by and large healthy. And one of the bigger problems they've had this year was getting all their starters out there and 
that has cost them a number of games this season, not having Freddie back and he's back and pitching well, not having Woodruff and, you know, he's been back a while now and pitching a lot better as well. So I just, I tend to bet that way and say they have much better starting pitching than the Cardinals. And in the past, you have starting pitching has really mattered in these races against the Cardinals, sometimes to our detriment as Brewers fans and sometimes, you know, uh, on the good side. So I would, I would tend to just bet that way, uh, whether or not they catch the Cardinals, I'm more skeptical of that, but I do think they will get in and will be playing in the, uh, in the wild card round though. Really the only difference here is because I don't think either of us thinks the Cardinals are not likely to catch the Mets. Right. No. And, and nobody's catching the Dodgers. So <laughs> nope. no. basically what you're talking about is, is that initial three game series going to be played at home or is it going to be played on the road? And that's it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because and it's, it's a three game series entirely at yeah. the park of the team that's higher seated. Correct. Yes. But the, the difference will be the sixth seed playing the worst division winner, which will be the Cardinals or the fifth seed having to play the Braves or the Mets, which uh, not fun either way. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But we do have a Patreon question here again from uh, Jay Google, who's asking what's been more frustrating since the all-star break, the offense or the pitching, uh, because the offense has continued to at the very least be manning to watch Ryan. I don't want to irritate you by saying they stink, but <laughs> um, they are not fun to watch. And uh, also not fun to watch has been uh, the bullpen blowing a lot of leads lately. So it, it was an epidemic in Chicago. It's, it's kind of been a thing. And so I, I guess which thing, Paul, knowing how you do feel about the offense <laughs> has been worse to sit through since the all-star break. Uh, I mean, neither's good, but I still do think it is the offense. Just um, they, they're maddening to watch. They, they still are, even though they, I mean, they put up a decent number of runs every once in a while. Um, they still just have a trouble getting big hits and they strike out just all the time. And uh, it's frustrating to get two guys on or three guys on and know that there's a better than average chance that the next three guys who bats won't make contact because the team's just not good at making contact. So um, I, I it, it it's my biggest issue with them all season. If they were a little bit better on offense, um, they're slightly down from normal pitching wouldn't matter as much, and uh, they could have done something. So uh, the pitching kind of is what it is. Uh, you know that's been hurt by injuries to Peralta, by Hader just going insane or whatever the heck happened to him. Um, but the hitting is a problem that they could have addressed and they didn't. So that bugs me and will continue to bug me forever. Well, I think it's both and it's in, both in a very specific way. Um, both have been exactly as bad as they needed to be to lose a game uh, way too frequently. <laughs> uh, there are days when the offense just couldn't, we saw this again and again at Wrigley on Saturday where the offense just couldn't get over the hump. They were just bad enough to leave the pitching in a, in a situation where they were going to get uh, screwed over by, by randomness and dumb luck and all of that, you know? So they couldn't get big enough leads to give the pitching the room that they needed to just avoid stupidity. And I think that really we've seen that again and again where uh, they, they've switched off and they've taken a lot of turns 
as far as being just bad enough to lose. And, and oftentimes it's not actually that bad. Like they're not terrible. They're just bad enough to lose. <laughs> they're just enough to get them over to the negative side of that line. Yep. And we see that just again and again and again. And it, it comes from a lot of you know different places, but the, the thing on the offense really is, and I've made this point before, I've, <laughs> I've brought this up, but I really need to like hammer this. Uh, I, we're having the same fights that we've had for 20 years on this as baseball fans. Ever since Moneyball came out and people learned, hey, you can put together a team that uh, gets on base, takes walks, and hits home runs, and doesn't necessarily hit for average, and that is a way to to put together a team and win. That's the Brewers this year. I mean, that is this team to a T. This is, I think I called it last week, this is a Moneyball 1.0 team from an offensive build perspective. Now, nothing about their de- or their their pitch prevention, their run prevention is Moneyball 1.0, okay? But from an offensive perspective, they're building this team that way with those principles. And that comes with certain advantages in that they were able to construct an offense that has, you know, they're they're in the top third of the league in terms of runs per game. Um but they're doing it in a in a haphazard way, in a way that's not aligned with, uh, uh, like, they're not doing it consistently. There's the good teams, bad teams thing. And I think that gets blown out of proportion. But they're, whatever. That they're, is little... they're exactly average in DRC plus, not above average. That is right, right, right. Well, but DRC plus isn't the only way to measure an offense. Like there are other measures of offense you can look at. And look at the fact that like their OPS plus is above average. Yeah, but it's the one that accounts for all the factors that make things look better or worse than they are. So it's, it's... It, it does it 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 has advantages over that. But like looking at what they actually have done in terms of scoring, they are above average. Sure, so, but like, so are the Rockies. Like, well, and the, <laughs> right, the Rockies play. That's a different situation. They play in a park. It, it, no, it's not a different situation. It's the same situation. It's just that the factors aren't as obvious as playing at altitude. <laughs> well, yeah, there's no, there's, there's other factors there, and yes, but that, that wasn't the point I was trying to get at here. It's, it's that like this offense, the way it is constructed, is weirdly sort of a throwback to this other era, and I think it's like. It really seems to be pissing people off, and I I thought that this was kind of over with. Um, I thought that this was a thing that like we as baseball fans had moved past, but I guess not. Like it's there are there are things about it, and also like this is a, a, all exacerbated by the fact that the trends that we're talking about towards more strikeouts, towards more home runs, towards lower average, the league has all moved in that direction in general. So the fact that we're we're on like the the leading edge of that change um also really stands up because this team you know batting average wise is terrible by the standards of say 20 years ago or but four not so for now yeah <laughs> like well bottom I, 10 aren't they like uh they're yeah they're they're 20th yeah so they're bad there it's okay to say sorry. that and and yeah, batting average is overrated, but you need to hit better than two thirty, whatever, right? Like, I don't know. 
I, I'm just uh, frustrated yeah, watching their this. best yeah, regular batting average is Yelich at 252. That that's not good enough. Well, yeah, I mean the the batting average of the league is 243, and they are 235. But like, I, I think that a big part of this is the adjustment has to be made for the fact that the league is hitting 243. You know, like the and if they that, were hitting 243, that'd be a lot more pleasant to watch, and they'd be better. You know? Yeah, but would but would that? Yeah, I still think people would look at a, a team that's hitting two forty three, and they'd be like, they don't hit for enough contact. I mean, the league leading team this year is hitting two sixty three. I know. The yeah, yeah. The it's like, the run it's, environment is is trash this year. It is offense is down everywhere, but this just feels especially painful. A because we have to watch this crap every night, <laughs> and B it's just like. We go back to we're not asking for a whole lot. We're asking for just just a little bit more, you know, especially with that pitching staff. So I don't know. It, I think that's what makes it frustrating. We're not asking for them to hit 275 as a team, you know, like that matters. Like we just I just don't want them to hit 235. Yeah, I mean, that would be nice. But this is this is the concession that they've sort of made to putting together a team uh in this era with the payroll constraints that they have that they have that they've placed on themselves however you want to say it that they have uh this is the situation that they're in and they've managed to put together a team that does score runs and it's just done in a way that seems to just make people go insane and i will say too though it, it seems like they've at least recognized this you know, inadequacy, like look at who they've drafted the last couple of years, like Freilich, like Brown, like they've drafted a bunch of guys whose top skill is bat to ball. Right. Mm-hmm. So I that mean, is it. And they've been doing this for a few years now where they have been really, because that's the Bryce Terang pick. And that was in 2019. So uh, wait, I'm sorry. 2018. Yeah. 2018 Bryce Terang goes back all the way to 2018. Right. So, like, they've been doing this for the better part of David Stearns' tenure where they're betting on guys who make contact and that they can improve them in terms of hitting for power. That's been their their development philosophy, and we still have to see if that can pay dividends. It looks like at this point uh, the, the best way we could say that is it might, right? Like, this <laughs> might end up paying the dividends. It doesn't look like it's going to necessarily fail. But it also, we haven't seen it succeed yet either. So, um, and it is the way Cleveland has operated. Like another very smart organization that's done a better job in recent years developing hitters. uh, This is what they truly believe in. And if you look at how they draft and how they develop, um, this was the Jose Ramirez thing. That guy hit for no power early on in his minor league career. And they worked at it, worked at it. He was a contact oriented guy. And now he's, you know, one of the best players in baseball. Where do you guys think uh, the Brewers rank in doubles without looking? <laughs> huh. Well, it's got to be low, right? If you're asking yeah, the question. Yeah, it's, it's singles and homers for these guys, right? It's probably low if I'm asking. <laughs> so they rank 25th in baseball in doubles. They have 177 doubles. The Red Sox lead the league with 274. Um, that's kind of weird, honestly. Um, that's... Uh, that's really not a lot. I think this is yeah. not a group that's hitting a lot of gaps. I'll no, say it's that. really not. <laughs> Sing- 
Yeah, and then if you look at so slugging, which would take more. Do you have the the isolated power on that, Paul? I don't have ISO. I do have slugging for teams. Slugging, I have them in tenth, ninth actually. Sorry, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight. Yeah. I mean, they're up in home runs. They definitely are batting average part of it. Yeah. So, it's man, it's a it is a strange time it's weird that they've well it's not weird but they've leaned into the run environment situation as it is um in ways that probably uh you know are not to their benefit public relations wise at least (laughs) um they are they're they're seventh at grounding into double plays as well that uh that's not also slow and they can't hit to the gaps to the gaps that's that's the doubles they they never get they never (laughs) hit doubles and they ground into just an insane amount of double plays all right. Uh, we could talk about this for hours, and we're already approaching an hour, and we've got a lot of questions. So let's okay. just move along. All right. <laughs> uh, PJ Wessels is asking, uh, speaking of bad August, who wins more the rest of the August, the Brewers or the Yankees? Uh, for those who are not following a lot of Yankees fans on Twitter like I am, the Yankees did win on Sunday, so they improved to 5-14 and 14, uh, in <laughs> August, uh, definitely a rough patch. The Brewers are seven and eleven now, so I guess to to add context to this question of who will re- win the rest, win more the rest of August, the Brewers have, of course, three at LA against the Dodgers, then six at home against the Cubs and Pirates. Meanwhile, the Mets have two, or the Yankees have two against the Mets, and then four at Oakland and three at the Angels, who are basically the cubs and the pirates so paul who would you pick <laughs> the, the yankees will uh this will be good for them and i would pick them um uh, even if even if they continue to be kind of bad and weird uh the angels are uh, amazing in losing games just phenomenal at losing games and they'll they'll sweep that series without trouble so um oakland's tougher they're, they're bad but they're at least you know somewhat competent um, so yeah, but the Yankees will be fine. They're juggernauts that have run into some bad luck, but they're about to play uh, teams that are immune to bad luck. The, the Angels are the owners of bad luck. They are sort of bad luck personified. So uh, yeah, I'll take the Yankees. All um, right. Uh, yeah. yeah Ryan, I mean, how about you? <laughs> yeah, it's basically a toss-up. Give me the Brewers. I'd be more confident if the Brewers have shown an ability to beat the Cubs and the Pirates more recently. Also that. uh, Who knows? Maybe as we get closer to Craig Tambor, things will start to shift. All right. Next question comes from Andrew S. Asking, with Urias's somewhat disappointing season, at least offensively, do you think the Brewers look at other options this offseason, assuming Terang is taking a long spot at second base? So I think we've, we've all kind of assumed that Urias is moving over. I will say Terang's kind of played everywhere in Nashville, including some third base now. Uh, so, uh, Paul, I, I guess your long-term outlook on Urias, I know it's not quite the year we were expecting from him. Uh, I think no one's been hurt more by the dumb ball than him, which uh, we actually, I think, predicted in advance uh, when we were asked a question mm-hmm. many, many months ago, who is most impacted by this stupid thing? It's him, who because he just pokes out in 20 home runs and those 20 home runs stop getting out of the park, he suddenly looks a lot worse. Um, it's it's alarming that his contact skills seem to have degraded a bit. Not great there. 
Um, but uh, I still think long term he's just is a little bit stretched um, when he has to play third and is a natural second baseman. And maybe getting him at his natural, what I think is his natural position permanently, would do his offense a lot of good. So I think he will be uh, the second baseman of the future very soon, and we'll get a shot there at least. I mean, th- there's people they can replace him with now, which is fun. But uh, I-, I do think that I still foresee that out of him, uh, and I think is a good good way to maybe try to bring him back a little bit. Yeah, I think I agree here 100%. I think he moves back to second base. I think Terang is more of the Jace Peterson replacement, maybe, uh, than uh, the Urias replacement. And I think that there is a chance that they do look to go outside at third base uh, and and do something else there. But I, I think that basically the thing I would expect most from them is that they will use the flexibility that they have. And if an opportunity presents itself at second base that they can pursue that and leave Urias at third. Or if an opportunity presents itself at third base, they can move Urias to second. But I think Urias is the one who who moves around. And I think Wong is probably out. Probably out. Like, Ed, I would... If I had to bet on that, I would, I would go that direction. Yeah, I think he's probably yeah. done. Uh, oh. Looking at the underlying numbers on Urias, uh, the strikeouts did... Paul, you mentioned it. They ticked up a little they bit. They did. But, it's not so bad. I mean, his strikeout percent last year was 20.4%. It's 22.3% this year. It's not remarkably bad or anything. It's uh, in today's day and age, 22.3% strikeout rate is perfectly fine. I mean, that's, you know, really, especially on this team, it's really nothing to get uh, excited about. Uh, BABIP is lower than you'd expect, but that's not the main thing that's going on here. I, I I don't know exactly. I, I honestly what it think is. I think it's almost all ball with him. Um, it's the only thing that's really down in his profile is barrels, and barrels yeah. are primarily determined by exit velocity. Um, and it's not down a ton for him, honestly, but it is down a couple miles an hour. He, honestly, his underlying stats look like exactly what we predicted that he just lost a couple miles an hour off of his hard hit balls, and they stopped leaving the park. And uh, that mm-hmm. seems to be most of what's wrong with him. His launch angle is maybe a little high. It's 18.6. Um, it's usually uh, two years ago, it's 14.2 during his really good season. Um, but that's not like obscene or anything. You can still hit balls out if you actually get some power under him at that angle. Not a problem. Uh, I really think that's it. I, I think he is a, one of the biggest victims of the ball in the league. And uh, if it doesn't come back, it could be a problem for him. <laughs> Him and Yelich. <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess speaking of looking ahead to uh, where some guys will be playing next year and and letting some folks go, Mark Podscarby is asking, since we are under the assumption that the Brewers will let Wong and Omar walk after this year, sounds like you guys are on board with that. With so many prospects projected to start in AAA or at the majors next year and have a chance to impact the major league team in 2023, uh, Freilich, Ruiz, Weimer, Mitchell, Terang, Feliciano, Small, Gosser, maybe even Churio. He names just a few there. Where do you think the Brewers spend their money in the offseason? Uh, Paul, third base, definitely one. Or uh, what are you looking for on the free agent market? Uh, I'm never, ever, ever going to predict what um, what our team is going to do in terms of free agents because <laughs> they just sign random guys and cram them in positions where they may or may not be comfortable. And it doesn't really seem to matter what the holes on the team are most of the time. 
So, I mean, we all know what the natural ones are. They could, they have center fielders um, in the minors, but they could still maybe use one. It's certainly, like uh, a reliable defensive backup would be nice there if you're going to get some offense coming up from the minors uh, that can man center field. It'd be nice to have somebody there too. Yeah, I mean, you may even get that too. Third base is the obvious one, though, like because you can put a power bat there, and they don't. Uh, Urias isn't that. He can play there, but he's not a prototypical third baseman. Um, it would be nice if they got some pop there, but honestly, they're so hard to predict that they might go and sign like five catchers. You never know with them. Yeah, I think you know. Really, they need an anchor bat more than they need anything else. In yeah, this lineup. that's really it. It doesn't matter where he plays; just get that. And that's really hard to get if you're the Brewers in free agency. So, because the price on an anchor bat, a guy that you can build a lineup legitimately around, is high. Like those guys are just—they're one of the more expensive commodities that you'll find out there on the on the market. So. I'm not sure. I did mention Josh Bell, and maybe that's a thing. If they feel really good about some of their prospects coming up and they feel like they can fill out their outfield of the future from within and not have to worry about that, and if they feel like uh, Bell is a guy who can play first base long-term because chances are good they're going to need to get Christian Yelich out of the outfield, especially after this week, after we saw or heard what happened on Saturday afternoon with Oh, oh. man. I yeah, mean, you guys you guys didn't see it, but it's it's the Brewers Brant Brown play now. It was uh, that bad. Is it it, it bad. truly was that bad? It was. Because it was so shallow that um they probably even with Yelich's arm, I, I think there was there was a decent chance that they weren't even gonna try it. And then it just scooted away from him on the transfer. It was it was bad. So looking at some guys that are available, would you call Trey Mancini an anchor bat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's where I'm at too. It's like by Brewer standards, sure. But I mean, that's that's more I, I, would, I wouldn't say now. no to it. I'm just not sure I would call it that. <laughs> right. And that's that's the sort of the thing. And at first base, it's you're talking about him and Josh Bell and I guess Jose Abreu, but I don't know that you want to be in the Jose Abreu business uh, at his age. Like that seems unless he's the next Nelson Cruz. Yeah, but I, 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 I would actually I kind of like the Jose Abreu idea. I think I mentioned it earlier. He's he's old and he is old player skills guy to a T, but he still hits. So I would be okay with that. As far as third baseman available on the market this winter. Uh, you like Hanser Alberto, Letimus Diaz, Brandon Drury, or Wilmer Flores? Mm. Drury, maybe? Yeah, I could, yeah. Get, I could get behind Drury. I'm down I mean, for that. I mean, that would have been nice at the deadline, too, but the Padres got him as well. So. Yeah. Maybe. It is, well, of course, worth mentioning he has been absolutely awful as a member of the Padres. Yes. But uh, yes. he's generally pretty good, okay-ish, not super great. I don't know. I'd, I would give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, I it's I think that the answer to this probably means trade. Like if you're going to find an, an anchor yeah. bat, it it either is going to have to come from the farm system and that's Churio, but that's going to be a little while still. So that's that's not for next year. Like he, we might see him next year, but you're not counting on him to be that guy next year. Definitely not. Yeah. So uh it, it, like you're going to have to go to the trade market on this and 
that means giving up to get something like that, to get an anchor bat, you're going to have to give up something special. And that is always difficult. And so we'll just have to see what the thing is. I just, I don't see a lot of great options here. I guess Josh Bell is the one I'm most interested in, but I'm not interested in Josh Bell at, you know, what, five years, 90 million. Like I think he's probably going to get like, that yeah. seems like probably a bad idea. So yeah, I guess yeah. we'll see what happens. Indeed. All right. A uh, couple more questions here before we wrap up this week. One last Patreon question from Price Trozen asking, who do you think will be a make a good jump in September and be the biggest asset in the playoff push? Uh, so, Paul, let's start with you. <laughs> who, who's your pick to just catch fire, go 2018 Yelich on everybody, uh, not, and, not, and carry the Brewers to the playoffs? Not Yelich. Uh <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to project really goodness from anybody. We have such a long track record of how their seasons have gone so far. And, uh, like, is Willie Adamas going to suddenly get fixed and make more contact and walk more? I don't Maybe. He's maybe? had a, maybe? Co- a, a good weekend. <laughs> he had a good weekend in Chicago. He yeah. might be a pick. Um, yeah. Uh, I, like, maybe Rowdy. Who gets? He, he has a hot month in him every once in a while. Um, I, I guess maybe I'd go, I'd go Rowdy first. I, I think he he he's streaky. That I go, that sounds fine. We'll just do that. Him and Adamus are my two picks, but uh, it just doesn't seem like somebody's going to get hot. Nobody's gotten hot all season except for Renfro. How about Ryan uh, Keston Hira? He of the two home runs on Sunday. Yeah, and I did mention this on Twitter that. I, we've been skeptical, and I think rightly so, that if you put him in on a daily basis right now, that he would potentially get overexposed. And that uh, teams would start focusing on him more, and that would be to his detriment because we've seen it. And he's still swinging and missing a ton. Yep, Like, that is still part of his game. But... <laughs> There comes a point where you have to just say he's the only it. one who can hit it out right now. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. There there comes a point where, yeah, you just say, okay, we're going with it and we're going to ride this as long as it lasts. And I think that by stealing plate appearances from, you know, basically all of your outfielders and your first baseman, your DH, like you can take a few plate appearances away from each to basically cobble together, you know, five starts a week from, from Keston Hero. And I think that that would make sense right now. I don't really believe in riding the hot hand. I saw Jonathan judge say something kind of skeptical on this front also. And like, I don't really believe that, but like there comes a point when you just kind of do it because it it would be dumb not to. Yep. And I think we've kind of approached that point where they need to find ways to get Keston here into the lineup. And, uh, and just you know and if if it turns out that him seeing uh pitchers every day all of a sudden the productivity goes away and the 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 strikeouts i don't know how they could go up and they they go up even more like you pull the plug but i think my real answer to this question is the brewers a bullpen um i think we've seen signs of life from all of them along with hiccups in horribly timed situations like horrible luck from from some of these guys like uh, taylor rogers having to to take a blown save for yesterday's game is asinine because there was literally nothing that man could do in that game other than what he did he was fine like he was fine but 
like and and Devin Williams has had some of this as well, but ultimately, I think that the Brewers' A bullpen, so Bush, Rogers, Williams, and maybe you we get to throw Rosenthal into that mix as well. We'll see, or <laughs> we'll maybe see. Trevor Trevor Gott comes back. There's yeah. or some of these guys that are looked hurt. better on Sunday. Yeah, Boxberger looked better on Sunday. There's lots of potential ways this can go, but I think that ultimately that's what's going to need to happen if they're going to have a hot stretch run is they're going to need to get a lot of shutdown seven, eighth and ninth innings. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're running long, but there's some Twitter questions I want to get to. So first one from San, Sam Klunder, uh asking about something we kind of hinted at last week, Ryan, is there any good reason for Sal Freilich not to be on the roster by this time next week? As you mentioned, uh, we're coming up on the service time cutoff where he'd still preserve rookie eligibility for next year. Uh, is that something we look forward to, or are you still kind of pumping the brakes on him a little bit and pushing him to the majors? Yeah. I mean, we have to push pump the brakes some on this because he's sort of has taken on the sheen of like a savior and the guys played like, I don't know, a few games over uh, a ball at this point in his career. I don't think he even has a hundred games over a ball. Uh, guys like that sometimes do become saviors. Sometimes they do become really, really good. It is possible he becomes that, but I wouldn't bet on it. And I think that if they give him that shot, great. Uh, you know, hopefully they see something in him that makes you think that that would work. But if they don't give him that shot, chances are good they're looking at some other things and saying he's just not ready to hit major league pitching yet. And there's never been a larger gap. I said this in response to a question this week about this. There's never been a larger gap between what's going on at AAA and what's going on in the big leagues as there is right now. Um, Guys have tons of success. A bunch of guys have had tons and tons of success at AAA um, and then been completely useless at the major league level. And I think the Brewers will have a fairly good handle on that and understand if what Freilich's doing, you know, could get him into running into some some uh some balls at the big league level or if he would you know be in over his head at this point so i think we just have to trust that they know what they're doing on this but to be very clear about what this this date we're talking about is um on the 23rd of august there will only be 44 major league days left on the calendar Okay, season ends on October 5th. So as of the 23rd, there will only be 44 days left. One of the ways a guy can lose rookie eligibility is by being on the major league roster for 45 days. Beyond that, it's either 50 innings if you're a pitcher or 130 at-bats if you're a a position player. Those are the ways you can lose rookie eligibility. And nobody wants their top prospects at this point to lose rookie eligibility because if they bring them up next year and they win rookie of the year or finish top three – there's prizes available for it. So nobody wants to, to lose that. I think that that's why there's a lot of people that think you're going to see a number of prospects get called up in the next, you know, come the 23rd, 24th, 25th, uh, you'll see some guys get called up. Whether Freilich will be one of those guys, I hate to say it, but I got to say it again. We just have to wait and see. We shall indeed. All right. I want to end this episode with a fight. So here's Ruby's question. (laughs) 
All right. Uh, if if the Brewers and Cubs were given the opportunity to straight up swap yeah. all the position players on their rosters, who says no? Paul? Uh, the Cubs, they say no. Um, they, they have um, pretty much as good of an offense with younger players, uh, so they would not do this. They, it, a partial part of this is that they are rebuilding, and so they can have slightly less production with younger people. That's part of the idea. Um, so they do say no. However, um, I, I, Ryan and I already had this on Twitter. I, I by DRC plus, they're one point apart. The Cubs are ninety nine. The Brewers are hundred. I think by the end of the season, the Cubs will pass the Brewers, and so I still think on an objective level that the Cubs lineup will end up being better than the Brewers. So again, the Cubs say no. I I think that the the question when Ruby asked this, the I flipped it back to him and said, so basically the question you're asking is, would you downgrade the offense a little bit this year in order to clear Christian Yelich's contract? <laughs> is essentially what that that question comes down to, right? Because you're talking about the, the Cubs not being locked into anybody here long term, other than say a Suzuki who looks like he would be just fine for the long term yeah um he's not having a great year but he's also not having a terrible year i i had higher expectations than this coming in but especially given his start yeah (laughs) right sure so i i don't know i mean wilson Contreras is a free agent probably wouldn't be re-signing him um i think that it's it's interesting here that the cubs have managed to put together this offense despite rebuilding uh, it sort of is a uh, harkens back to what David Stearns did in 2017, where he managed, even though they were a rebuilding team or one that was, you know, maybe just starting to to emerge from a rebuild, that they had this all together. Um, obviously, the difference between the Brewers and the Cubs is the pitching. You know, the, the Brewers is good, while the Cubs is absolutely god awful. So that's the main difference here. But I. I do think that I, well, I do think the Brewers would say no. I don't think the Brewers would make this <laughs> would make this swap. I I don't think they would, um, because well, I, are, are we going to get into like the soft squishy factors here? Like you know, I, I think it's just on field. Yeah, yeah, we're not his mindset right now. Like straight up, even like not even contract status. Who would you take right now? Just this batting lineup or the Cubs? I mean, if it's that situation, the Cubs lineup is is more interesting because it's a little bit more uh, standardly constructed in that if you look up and down it, you have guys who are a 132 OPS plus and you have a guy who's 72. <laughs> so, and, you know, a 73 guys in the 70s and three guys over one uh, over 120. So it's more of a standard construction of a lineup where you have some good guys and some bad guys as opposed to the Brewers, like, everybody's kind of average-ish uh, setup that they have running. But yeah, I, I think the Brewers would stick with what they have because I think it's a, it's a marginally better group. Where the, the real difference comes out here, I think more so than anywhere, is defensively. And people will yell at and scream about this, but like the Brewers defense now in terms of the fielding Bible um, uh, numbers, defensive runs saved, the Brewers are now eighth in baseball at 32 defensive runs saved, and the Cubs are down at 23rd at negative 13. They're not a good defensive team. Um, the only good defensive Cub is Nico Horner, 
Um, and and Contreras is pretty good, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. So you would be substantially downgrading the the defense here as well. Like you would be taking a, a substantial hit on defense. Uh, and a modest hit on offense. But, like, do the Cubs have players that I would want to have in the Brewers lineup? Like, Ruby came back to me and asked me this. Uh, you know, like, would you exchange Yelich for Ian Happ? And, like, yeah, of course. Of course would you would. That. Yeah, so- there's no question about that. I would, you know, Ian Happ's got a year and, uh, well, one year after this left on his, his control and is a – better hitter than Christian Yelich is right now and doesn't have a $200 million contract. So yeah, I take him. (laughs) So I do think that uh, numbers do understate how good the Cubs lineup is when it's at full power as well, um, because they did not have Seiya Suzuki for uh, a reasonable part chunk of the season with an injury. And they've called up prospects that have played well as the season has gone on and have improved offensively as the season has gone on as the result. The Christopher Morrill came up like after a couple months um, uh, from El Reyes has not even been up that long and small sample size been destroying baseballs, but small sample size. Yes. But um, they're better whenever they do that. So um, they, they sucked worse earlier and they've gotten progressively better as the season has gone on too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's something about the way they construct lineups, especially there's something about the way that they get guys who, even if they're not great hitters, will grind at bats on you and it's actually the brewers do this too like the brewers obviously see some of the most pitches per plate appearance of any team in the league uh the cubs are very very good at this as well and they patrick wisdom based basically ruined devin williams on saturday Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. 11 pitch at bat with all those foul balls drew a walk and that was (laughs) ended up being the ball game well, so, today yeah. it looked like right off the bat, you might have that same situation with uh, Nick Madrigal and Brandon Woodruff, where he, the, the first two batters, saw what, 20 pitches yeah. to get his first two outs? And then Hap hit a home run right after that. And you had to wonder how much it was grinding on those two at bats that led to that situation. So the Cubs can do some work that way. And it seems to be part of like what they, uh, what they look for in offensive players. So maybe Stearns would approve of that aspect of the, the Cubs. I just don't think overall that they're as good as what the Brewers have, though it's closer than probably people would think uh, just, you know, off the top of their heads, uh, especially considering the Cubs are sort of famously rebuilding right now and the Brewers are in contention. Yeah. All right. I think that's a good note to end this week on. Thank you everybody for the questions as a reminder the way to guarantee your question gets asked and answered is to become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate going to come in handy in this week's reporting as eligible uh, preseason podcast as well. Uh, lots to talk about there. Uh, Jordan loves game the other night. Paul approves uh, in some ways, but you're going to have to listen. Good. Yeah. You're going to have to listen for more on that. So Uh, Thanks for hanging with us this week, everybody, Uh, even though the Brewers were less than fun to watch. Hopefully in the next week, they'll be a little bit better. It's the same schedule that we had last week. So, yay, more (laughs) Dodgers and Cubs to talk about Uh, with the same exact pitching matchups in the Dodgers series, too. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, before we go this week, too, I'd like to ask all of you to leave a review and a rating for this podcast over on Apple Podcasts. A reminder, Paul will read literally anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. Uh, still waiting for a new review there, yep. so please head still over bomb. there. 
Yep, yep. Go beat Bob. So five-star review there. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe or follow button wherever you listen to us, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, wherever else. Uh, hit that subscribe button or that follow button, and you will not miss an episode. You'll get that push alert on your phone every time uh, we post these this week, uh, every week. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, on that note, thanks for listening, everybody, and, and bearing with us. We had we had a lot to talk about, especially with Eric Lauer's comments. We'll see uh, what the fallout is on that in the next week for sure. Uh, but we will be back here next week to talk about all of that stuff. So uh, have a good one, everybody. Stay well, and we'll see you here next week.